morning I have a very, very exciting message that I could not wait to be here for. Last week, you'll remember, I was in Fort Worth with Andrew in a brand new church plant, um, the house Fort Worth, and they had over 50 people got saved last week, and it was ice storm terrible, and it was a full house still, and they're doing well, and they're in the middle of their second service right now, and, and we're just blessing them, and we're just really happy of what they're doing over in Fort Worth, and we're, we're so teamed up together, and, and the message was wonderful and all that stuff. You guys heard a, pa- a message from Pastor Chris Hodges last week. It was one of my favorites. I really wanted you to hear anyway, so that was good. Thank you for allowing me to go over and be a blessing to them, and you know, we're we're all in this together. Um, but the week before that, we talked about the three Hebrew children. If you didn't hear that message, I encourage you to go back and listen to it on our app, or you can still go watch it on cotrdallas.tv, and just go back and you can see that message that was there. But this week, we're going to talk along the same lines, but a different story in the Bible. And I will tell you, there's a whole lot of scriptures because we're going to kind of follow in. I'm going to narrate the scriptures and kind of make you live what was really going on there. So just follow with me. But this week, we're going to be looking at David, King David in the Bible. He ends up to be one of the greatest people in all of history. He's actually the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. I mean, he just has a central focus in the whole entire Bible. But his start wasn't as spectacular as you would think. Even people, as we'll see, didn't even put him very high in their esteem. So we begin the story that David is in a meaningless season of his life, so he would think he is just out tending sheep. Now, there's got to be very little that is more boring than watching sheep, because they're pretty much just going to stand there all day long and eat. I mean, there's just nothing to do, but it's boring. It's terrible. It's just all these things. And here David is out there. So as we hold on to that thought, then back with the entire nation of Israel, King Saul was the first king that was ever for Israel. And he turned his back on God. He rejected God. He didn't obey God. And God removed his blessing from him. And it said that even demonic spirits came and took over that place where God once was. And Samuel is the prophet that was the one orchestrating. He was the voice, the mouthpiece of God. And we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. So we're going to read through all this, and I'm going to narrate it. So just follow along with it. It's on the screen, or you can... Look at it on your Bible as well. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have, long, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask of olive oil and go to Bethlehem and find a man named Jesse who lives there. For I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about that, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord said, and, and say that you've come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. Pause right there. I love the fact that here Samuel is the great man of God, the mouthpiece of God, and he's still concerned when God gives him instructions and says, hey, I want you to do this. He's vulnerable. He's human like us to say, if I do that, that king is going to kill me. He's got natural concerns. And so oftentimes when God tells us to do something, we're like, God, I can't do that because if I do that, then this and this and this. And then God gives him this plan and goes, no, this is how I want you to do it. 
And I love that, that we can see that even in the Old Testament, that God's intricately involved with our lives. And so, okay, now this is the plan. This is what you do. You do this, and then you do this, and you do this. Verse 4, so Samuel did as the Lord instructed. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came out trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Verse 5, yes, Samuel replied, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. So here they are, they're worried about why the man of God is coming. It's like, oh my gosh, is something really bad about to happen? You know, all this crazy stuff. And he's like, no, 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 I'm going to church. We're going to come have worship together. So you guys just get ready and you come with us. And then he invites Jesse and his sons and he invites them to the sacrifice as well. Verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Elib. Now, I want you to remember names. Okay, we're going to follow a bouncing ball here. He took one look at him and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Now, isn't that like you and I? We, we see a word from God, and then we look at the situation. We go, surely this is it. This has got to be what it is. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height. Because I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And just hang out here for a second with me. This is God talking to Samuel. Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord, talking about himself, doesn't see things the way you do. The Lord doesn't look at outward appearance. He looks at the heart. But isn't that what we talked about just a few weeks ago? That Jesus says, hey, you may not have had this action of committing adultery, but if you did it in your heart, in God's eyes, it's the same way. Here, we're seeing the same exact story. So Jesse brings his sons, and they're all lined up there, and he went through one, and he went to the next one, and he went to the next one, and then they went through all of them, and there's no one left. And Samuel said, they're scratching his heads like, God, you rejected all of them in verse 11. He turns to Jesse and says, are these all the sons you have? Jesse says, they're still the youngest, but he's just out in the fields watching sheep. Isn't that like us so many times on two different sides? We'll just like, we'll minimize. We'll think we got it all together and we'll just leave this thing over here. Or maybe you're that person that's just left out there and you feel like everybody else is going on and I'm just kind of over here and nobody cares about me. I'm out here. So they send for him, and he comes in there, and as soon as he walks in, God says, that's the one right there. Now, we'll see later in the story that, that David's small, and he, he's got a ruddy complexion, and he's not the obvious choice, but God says, that's the one. Verse 13, so David stood among his brothers, and Samuel took the flask of oil. He had brought and anointed David with oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Now, not even meaning to do this is kind of setting up for we're going to have an ordination service coming up in the next few weeks. I'm not sure we're still working out the data that that we're going to lay hands on some people and anoint them and license them for the work of the Lord. Some of those are going to be anointed are our elders. And this is exactly what's going on, that when you lay hands on them and you're following the commandments of God and you anoint them with oil, then the presence of God comes on them even more powerfully. And it's for life. It's from that day on. But I want you to see here that, remember, Saul had rejected God, and he's got a void now where God left, and the demonic oppression came upon him. 
And as he's there, his, all of his staff and all of his people around him are like, man, this is terrible now in the court. They said, hey, why don't you get some worship going on here? And we didn't have our playlist on Spotify for them at that point. So they said, why don't you get some musician that come in here that, get, that can attract the presence of God? So he went and did this whole search and tried to find out. And then they came in and said, hey, there's this kid, David. And he's really, really good at the worship of God. And he's really anointed, and we should do that. So the king chooses him. Verse 19, so Saul sent messengers to Jesse saying, send me your son, David, the shepherd. Even the king knew that he's just out in the field with some sheep. Now, imagine, put yourself in the Bible, Jesse had been there Samuel, the man of God, shows up, and he has all of his sons come together. He went through all of them and says, who is in? It's not him. You got any more? They, they bring David in here. He's like, this is the guy. And he anoints him with oil, and he says, you're going to be the next king. And then next, you skip forward just a little bit, and he gets a message from the current king saying, hey, can you send your son to the king, to the palace? And he's like, this is it. They're going to coronate him. It's going to be the whole, the whole thing. And he goes, no, I just want you to lead worship. I want you to bring the presence of God in. Because you see, the presence of God had been in that throne room. It had been in that place where the, the king sat. But he rejected God, and now he, God is not there. So David comes in and uses his anointing to now bring the presence of God in. Verse 21. So David went to Saul and began serving him. And Saul loved David very much. And David became his armor bearer. I want you to see this, that Saul loved David very much. But wouldn't that be just expected? Where the presence of God had been so much, and once you've been in the presence of God, and you've, you've just come to rely on that, you just can't live another moment. And the song was saying, I'm desperate for you, and, and I thirst for you, and, and you're the, even the air I breathe, and all of a sudden it's missing. It's like, I'm desperate for you. you. Wouldn't you love the person that is bringing that presence of God back into the throne room? So here David is. He's playing his harp, and he's bringing the presence of God in. Now, we're going to paint the whole picture now. I've kind of set the table a little bit of who the people are and how it's laying out. Verse 1 of chapter 17. Now the Philistines had mustered their army for battle and camped in these places. And Saul countered by gathering his Israeli troops near the valley of Eli. And the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with a valley in between them. So over here, we've got Goliath and all the Philistines. They're on this hill, and there's this valley in between. And then over here, Israel's like, okay, well, we can do that too. So Saul calls all of his people to come down there, and they make a list. And now they're facing each other, and there's this valley in between them. Verse 4. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out to the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. And he was over nine feet tall. Can you imagine a nine-foot-tall guy walking? I mean, they've got all their armies, and all of a sudden, he just comes pushing his way to the top front and is like, oh, shoot, you're big. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of, of mail weighed 125 pounds. His coat weighed 125 pounds. That's huge. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, whatever that is, tipped with iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. And his armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. So the tip of his spear was 15 pounds. 
I mean, this guy's like massive and strong and all this stuff. So verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. So they're over here, they're over here. He's yelling at him. He goes, why are you all coming out to fight? I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. And if he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. Now, isn't that ridiculous? That's one of the most ridiculous statements. I, I can't even imagine. You've got all these armies that are ready and prepared to fight each other. And he says, forget about all that. I'm the champion of all them anyway. So you send one person. We'll just fight it out. And whoever wins, the other will be the slaves. Verse 10. Here's what he says. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. So here they are over here on this hill, and they're squared off against them. And, and, and Goliath gives this thing, and they're all over here just trembling, and they're scared to death. They don't know what to do. Verse 12. Now David was a son of Jesse. And we're going to skip through that. Now Jesse had three oldest sons, Elib. And the other two. And they had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. But David was the youngest son. And David's three oldest brothers stayed with the army of Saul. But David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. So here David is in the throne room. Leading worship. Bringing the presence of God in. He's going back and taking care of the sheep. And then he's, he's going out there and seeing what's going on with the army. So David is just going back and forth. Back and forth. Verse 16, for 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. 40 days, can you imagine? 40 days, they line everybody up, they line everybody up, Goliath comes out, and he taunts them, and he just goes talk all these bad things about God, and about them, and about Saul. Verse 17. One day, Jesse said to David, hey, I want you to take this food down there and give it to your brothers, and here's some stuff for their captain. And in verse um, 19, David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army, and I love this, fighting against the Philistines. They're, they're fighting? They're standing on the side of the hill, shaking in their boots. Okay, verse 20. So David left the sheep. Again, he's out there just in this meaningless, off over here, you're just a shepherd boy. Leaves his sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. And he arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. This cracks me up. So the, the Philistines are over here and Israel gets up. They're going, they're like, okay, here we go. Ah, we're the, we're the, we're going to get you. We're going to get you. We're going to get you. And they're yelling and doing all these battle cries and the shouts. And so verse 21, so Israelite and Philistines stood facing each other, army against army. And David left his things with the keeper of the supplies and hurried out to greet his brothers. And as he was talking to them, Goliath comes out and David heard him use the, shout the usual taunt to the Israel army. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away. So uh, this is comical. It, but isn't this us sometime too? Ah, they go out there, they get their place, and he comes out, and they go, ah. I mean, they're, just, they're not fighting. They're just standing there scared to death. But isn't that the way we are? 
We say, I, God, I, I just call on your scriptures. I, I do all this stuff. I'm going to stand firm. And then this giant comes up against us. And we go, ah, it's really big. That same thing is happening to us. Verse 26. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. They're talking to David who's standing there trying to, you know, talk to them. He comes out here each day to defy Israel. The king has offered this huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife. And the entire, the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Pause. Saul used to know God, used to inquire of God what to do. Now God has left him. He's now resorting to his practical things. It's like, okay, well, if, if somebody will go out there and fight him and win him, I'll give you one of my daughters. You can marry her, and, and, and your entire family won't pay taxes. He's trying to deal with this in the natural instead of going and inquiring of God and getting on his knees and saying, God, I'm desperate for you. I don't know what to do with this guy. I don't know what to do with this giant that's defying you and defying us, and I don't know what to do. He resorts to his own strengths. Verse 26, David asked the soldier standing by, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending this defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Now here David is this little shrimp they comes walking in here, and this guy's like massive. But David recognizes something that no one else saw. Verse 28. Now, when David's oldest brother, Elab, remember him, heard David talking to the man, he became angry. What are you doing here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? So here his brother is still talking down to him and like demeaning him and like, get back out to the, the field because we got men things to do here. Yeah, those men things are what? Going, ah! Okay, I mean, come on, it's ridiculous. He goes, I know your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. Now remember, this is the same guy that Jesse, his dad, had lined everybody up, and the man of God came in and says, oh my gosh, you've got to be the one. All the outward signs is that he was the answer, and God passed him over to choose his brother. He's that guy. Remember that. Just, uh, David says, what have I done now? I was only asking a question. So David walked away, verse 30 to talk to some other people and ask them the same thing. Now, David's questions were then reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Now, can you imagine? For 40 days this has been going on, and they've got all this. They're scared to death of all these situations. And here's one person shows up with faith. This is, how is he defying the living God? How is he allowed to still be breathing right now? What's going on here? And who is this? And then everybody's like, ooh, ooh, what, what? Instead of shaking, now they're listening to David. And there's confusion going on. But David's got faith rising up in all the way to the king. And here's about it. Remember, the king loved David. So the king sends for him. And he's now standing in verse 32 in front of the king. And I love, this is hilarious. But he says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Now, isn't that ridiculous? Isn't that just crazy? I mean, here's this little shepherd boy that everybody says, just get back to the sheep. Here's this nine-foot guy. He's got an armor bearer that's in front of him that's, you know, probably pretty strong himself. And the whole entire army behind him. And David says, I, I got this. 
Verse 33, don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Verse 34, and this is where we're going. But David persisted, saying, I've been taking care of my father's sheep. He's saying, man, I've been out there in the field, and where you're putting me down and just minimizing all that stuff, and it's meaningless to you. He goes, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club, and I rescue the lamb from its mouth, and if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. Can you imagine? You're out there just doing your little job, just watching the sheep eat grass, okay, boring, 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 and as they're sitting there, this lion, did I mention a lion, okay, a lion, okay, it comes up there, and it's like, it saunders up, maybe it runs in, and it grabs a hold of one, and I'll be like, that's just one, I got all these other over here, yeah, yeah, just go that way, all right, but no, David is not satisfied with one, of the sheep of his father, get where I'm going with this, to be taken away by the lion. And he goes and grabs it by the mouth. Can you imagine? Grabs it by the mouth, rips it open, frees the sheep, and then the lion turns on him. He recognizes that lion is bigger than he is. But he recognizes that he's responsible for the sheep. So he goes after that lion, and he steps into the place, and he clubs it to death. Verse 36, he says, I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Love verse 37. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. See, David recognized that when the lion came in to try and take one of his sheep and he got involved and now the lion's coming against him, that he didn't stand a chance. Did I mention it's a lion? You're not going to be able to outrun it. You're not going to be able to outmaneuver it. And and truthfully, you can't even fight well enough that you're going to fix it. He recognized that God was the only way that he was delivered in that situation. And then a bear comes along. A bear? Seriously? Did I mention it's a bear? I mean, this giant thing that he swipes one time with his paw and you're dead. The bear grabs one of the sheep and says, okay, this is lunch. And he goes, no, it's not. He goes up there and he grabs his mouth and rescues the sheep. And he rescues like, man, God delivered me from the lion. This bear's bigger, but my God is still bigger yet. And he fights him and he wins. I mean, it's a struggle. I mean, I don't think he just went, beep. I mean, it's a struggle. He was tired. He's probably like going, "Ah." I mean, laying down on the ground, you know, sweat covered. Like, I can't believe I just killed a lion. And then I killed a bear. He's got all these things. But he said, you see, King Saul, the presence of God that got me through that. This nine-foot guy is nothing. <laughs> Saul finally consented and said, all right, go ahead, which is the craziest thing in the world. Can you imagine he's putting the entire future of the nation in the hands of this one little boy? Verse 41. David goes out there, and I encourage you to go read the whole thing. I'm skipping over a whole lot to get through stuff. David goes out towards Goliath, and Goliath has his shield bearer ahead of him. And in the natural, in all honesty, that, that armor bearer for Goliath probably was bigger and badder than David. 
That armor bear probably could have taken David out on his own because he was battle-tested too. He'd been through all the same battles that Goliath had been through. And here he comes out there. Now Goliath is sneering in contempt, verse 42, at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. And he says, come on over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. And David replied this, and I love this too. You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. And can I just tell you, all those things are real. That sword will hurt him. It will kill him if it gets to him. That spear and that javelin that we talked about, how big it was and how heavy it was and the tip of it was all this stuff. All that stuff is real. It's dangerous. But David says, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. All the songs we sang this morning were to stir up faith inside of you. Talking about the name and talking about that God is for us and I can overcome. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I love the tagline at the end. He says, whom you have defiled. (laughs) Verse 46. Today, the Lord will conquer you. See, David was really clear on what was about to happen. David said, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you. See, David recognized that it was God who conquered that lion God that conquered that bear. It was God who was going to conquer Goliath, the giant in the land. And he says, but I've got a part to play too. And I'm going to kill you. And I'm going to cut your head off. And you know the end of the story. But I want to bring you back to that little boy. That little shepherd boy. Who walked in just bringing his brother some food. And he heard the giant defying God. He goes, who is that? Why wasn't it all of the army guys? Why wasn't it Saul, the king, supposed to be the great leader? Why wasn't it them that said, no, 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 you can't defy our God like that. They're over here fighting by going, ah. And David walks up. He goes, it doesn't matter how big he is. He's nobody to God. Verse 37 of Go back to that. It says, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue you. Will rescue me from this Philistine. See, there's no problem with lions until you get in the way. Until you have what they want. The sheep. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, stay alert. And I put this out on Facebook as a thing. Can you fill in the blanks? It says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion. Look at that, huh? Looking for someone he can devour. So even us in church, even us who are just going about our business, that lion comes around, the devil, and he's looking for things that he can go, hey, I can get this sheep. And he can go over here and go, no, 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 you can't have my friend. When he sees you going over and saying, hey, will you come to church with me? Because, you know, I don't really understand it all, but I just feel better when I leave. That's all I know. Will you come to church with me? He goes, whoa. Now you're on his range. 
on his target, on his radar, and he's coming after you. He's seeking who he can do. But it says, stand firm, verse 9, and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same thing. And just a a plug back for the movie we're going to see on March the 5th, Torture for Christ, that see that there's a whole lot of stuff going on outside of our world and what we know. There's a whole lot of Christian brothers and sisters that are going through some things that we need to understand what they're going on. But can I tell you that that lion prepared David for the bear. That bear and the lion prepared him for his conversation with the king that prepared him for Goliath. But then all of those prepared him for being king. See, David wasn't ready to be king until he went through the lion. So why did God allow the lion? It was a growth process in David. Why did God allow the bear? It was a growth process in David. Why did God allow Goliath to be there? See, these are all steps. And if you just go from one place to the ultimate place God has for you, you'll not be prepared and you will be not able to handle that. And you'll be like all of them on the side shaking every time the giant comes out. But when God takes you through some things, you're prepared. A friend of mine on Facebook wrote this. I keep reminding myself that life's tests only prepare you for life's blessings. I believe that's true. There's secular sayings that we'll hear that says, no pain, no gain. We embrace it. I mean, shirts are made of this. You also hear this. It's in a lot of songs. What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And we look at those things and people try and say those even secularly, not even in the church, and to rally that, you know, it didn't take me out, so it's going to make me strong and I'm going to learn something from it. But how is it that we can listen to secular points of view and still push back on biblical ones? See, John 10, 10, you hear me talk about it all the time around here. God, Jesus is saying, the devil has come to kill, steal, and destroy you. He's the lion roaring, looking around, trying to see how he can take you out. But I've come to give you an abundant life, life to the full. Live this great life, and they're completely separate. But we have to rise far above. James 1, verse 2, and we talked about this a few weeks ago as well. It says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. So when that lion came into David's life... He needed to count that as joy because that was preparing him for a bear. Well, that doesn't sound like very good preaching. I don't really like that, Pastor Kevin, because I I don't even want the lion. I really don't want the bear, and I don't even want to think about a giant. But those things are what develop us and make us better. It goes on to say, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So in the context now of David out there with the lion, preparing him for the bear, preparing him for the giant, and preparing him now to lead, count it all joy when we have situations. Can I just tell you, you've got a purpose. God has got a great purpose for you in your life. He knows that purpose. We can talk about that for a long time, but so does your struggles. They have a purpose because they produce inside of you. I want to suggest to you that until you discover the purpose in your struggles, you won't find the purpose in your life. Say that again. 
until you discover the purpose in your struggles, you won't find your purpose in life. Count it all joy. Have you had your lion? How do you handle when the enemy weaves his way in your life? He's trying to kill somebody. He's trying to devour you. How did you handle your lion? How did you handle your bear? If you close your eyes and bow your heads with me. What about the giants? What about those things that look like they could take you out? Everybody around you would be shaking in their boots as well. There's no way you can make it through this. There's no way in the world you'll survive this. Maybe in the natural it's true. Can we be like David and have a personal relationship with God? So much that you know that when the enemy's coming against you, God is there with you. The first step to being able to handle all that is having that personal relationship with God. So wherever you're at today, wherever the sound of my voice finds you, whether you're in this room, you're watching the live stream, you're listening on podcasts or wherever, the first step in that to be able to call on the name of God is to have a relationship with him. So if today is your day, you say, I, I don't even understand it all, but I want to I take that first step. I just want to help you with the words. It's just something you do personal, private between you and God. If that's you this morning, I want you to say this prayer with me. Say, God in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. Thank you, Jesus, for paying for my sins so I don't have to. I ask you to forgive me for living my life without you, for trying to do it on my own. Jesus, please forgive me. I surrender everything to you. Be the Lord of my life. Be number one. And the best way I know how, I'm going to live for you with all of my heart. Today, I give you my life. Father, I pray for everyone who prayed that prayer. Lord, I know that just them asking you into their heart, immediately something transformation happens in their life. Lord, I pray for everyone that heard this message. Lord, that they're challenged as I am, Lord, because we have lions, we have bears, we have giants, we have things that come against us. And Lord, if we try and do it in our own strength, we're not going to survive it. We're not going to be able to move beyond it. But Lord, help us to have a personal relationship with you. That we know God so much that we know that you are the ones who will deliver this lion. It's you who will deliver us from the bear. It is you that will deliver us from the giant. And then it's our choice then. It's our opportunity then to kill it. God, I thank you for the challenge of your word, for the example that we have on how to live. In Jesus' name I pray.